It's Friday, September 14th. Welcome to Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here. Words intentionally unclear. Stuck in my head. So hi, I'm Jeff Eaton, your host of uh, Insert Content Here, a podcast about uh, content strategy and, uh, and as, as I like to think of it, content tactics. I'm here with uh, Jeff Robbins. Uh, we're both from Lullabot, and if you're a longtime listener to the Lullabot podcast, this is actually a, a new podcast that we're launching um, because, well, put simply, we keep getting involved in content strategy over and over and over in every project we work on. And uh, as we've gotten deeper and deeper into it, we said, you know, we kind of like this, we're good at it, and, and we want to start talking more about it. So this podcast is basically just... Uh, it's, it's our platform for digging a little deeper into these topics, um, talking more about them, engaging with the other people uh, in, in the web world who are, who are involved with them, and uh, hopefully uh, everybody learns something, and, uh, and we were able to get an awesome, snappy new jingle out of it, too. So what's not the love? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you like the jingle? I are love you okay the, with jingle. the jingle. It, it's stuck in my wife's head. We're humming it now. It, it's... It, that's what you can hope for out of a jingle, I I'm, think. I'm always a little hesitant on the jingles. I, you know, I I think like theme music is a good way to go, but but jingles, you know, you're kind of getting in there. I I don't know. I mean, it's just they can they can be done wrong. Um, I mean, John Williams was booked until like October, <laughs> yeah, so well, we we did our best. Yeah, yeah. The the second line, by the way, because several people it is words intentionally unclear, which is funny that sometimes people can't understand them because <laughs> they're intentionally unclear, and people are like, "What what are you saying there?" I'm saying that you're not going to understand what I'm saying. It, it all comes it all comes full circle. I like it. Yeah, yeah. So so Jeff, tell tell how did you get into this this uh, content strategy game here? Well, you know, it, there's two answers to that. One is um, purely because over the years, as Lullabot worked on various projects uh, with other companies, you know, we got into, you know, doing Drupal development, I think, pushing a decade ago. Um, and we were almost entirely working on the development and design and, and architectural side of things. And content was one of those things that sort of lived in the, you know, that's the client's responsibility. You know, we keep bugging them about it and eventually they will give us the content, you know, usually 45 minutes before the site launch. Um, you know, that, that's sort of the traditional arc that I think anybody who's worked on websites for a long time has gone through. Um, and as time went on and we were working on larger and more complex projects, we realized that we needed to engage more directly with the people who were making the content. And we didn't need to just bug them earlier in the process. We needed to actually work closely with them when doing things like planning out the design and figuring out how the actual site itself was going to be built on a technical level because the content that was there on the website, you know, that's not just like decorative stuff that gets layered on after the real meat of it is built in PHP or, or you know, Python or whatever. Um, it's why the whole site's being built. I think Christina Halverson at the um, Chicago Content Strategy Meetup um, earlier, um, I think in August, um, made a comment about, um, you know, no one actually comes to your website 
to figure out how you were loading things from the database. Um, you know, it, well, I mean, maybe, the, you know, <laughs> sometimes <laughs> never yeah. is a strong word, but so um, I, I, to, to zoom out a little bit, I mean, for, for people uh, maybe from the content strategy world um, who have been pointed to this podcast and this is the first uh, episode of of this podcast, um, they might not know Lullabot, um, and so Lullabot historically um, uh, has been known as a Drupal development company. Um, it's how we got started. Um, we kind of got started as Drupal was sort of coming up. Um, and Drupal is well known as a content management system. And I have to say, our first few years, uh, we were. F- you know, really focusing on the system part of content management system. Um, but over time, we actually realized that focusing on the content end of things um, was uh, another area that oftentimes, as you're saying, got forgotten, right? And, and Jeff, you, you started out as a, as a developer, really, for us. Uh, um, and... Uh, well, the, uh, the funny thing is actually before I actually started out as a developer doing any kind of web stuff, I was a freelance tech writer. And so my background was ironically that I was the 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 writer and the content guy who ended up sitting next to the old Windows NT web server in the marketing agency that I worked for and had to learn how to reboot it. And then... <laughs> Woke up six years later and say, wait, wait a minute. Well, now all I, I do is reboot things. I, I haven't written an article in three years, but suddenly I'm designing database schemas. What happened? Um, and, and for like, you know, probably 15 years I was doing, you know, just pure development and stuff like that. But I've always really enjoyed writing. And that's actually how I originally got in writing articles for magazines, working, you know, and slowly working with clients and actually writing the content for their small marketing websites and stuff like that. So back in my old days, there's a lot of familiarity with that. And that's why I think when content strategy started really um, hitting the scene as a word to describe the kind of, you know, thinking that had to go into websites that really, you know, made content an important part of what they were doing, um, it it really rang a lot of bells. And I think for me, at least, it, it catalyzed all of the sort of nagging concerns that I think we'd all had, you know, going into projects where that wasn't an emphasis. And I think the projects probably over the last, you know, maybe three or four years that we've worked on where that emphasis has been much stronger and we have taken a more deliberate, you know, approach to it, we've seen how much more successful things are when when that is actually a part of the process. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, over the years, Lullabot has... um, led architecture and development on a lot of really high profile um websites and going in and talking to these these teams uh oftentimes you know we come in and we say initially we came in and said like what do you need what kind of database do you need how do you know what's the functionality that you want and we realized that we were talking to uh over time that actually the best people to talk to was more the production people the people that entered content and used the website on a on a uh daily basis um and so for projects like martha stewart.com and wwe.com and the grammys um you know we really tr- tried to to sit down with them and and it was such a 
so empowering that it also sort of became part of our sales process a little <laughs> bit. You know, we would go in and say like, well, you know, what we really want to do is sit down with your your content team and talk about the content so that we can really construct a a um, tools that actually support what they tools, really do exactly. and are trying to accomplish. Exactly, yeah. and and even uh, in particular, like customizing um, the administrative interfaces has sort of become part of our process these days, which is... Well, that, that actually is an interesting point, too, because one of the things that we spend a lot of time on, and I think really connects to the content strategy aspect of it really well, is that stuff, like building tool sets to you know facilitate good editorial workflow and stuff like that. And traditionally, I, I don't think that gets treated as content strategy so much. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I, I definitely don't want to get into quibbles about what what technically content strategy is and isn't. Um, and that's why I think I, I, I don't want to just call this the content strategy podcast because I, I want to sort of capture some of the content tactics too. You know, there's like the technically content strategy is like the whole suite of like analysis and decision making stuff that let you say, why are we, what kind of content are we putting on our website? Why are we doing it? How are we going to maintain it? A lot of it is about, you know, institutional knowledge around, you know, why do we even have that page? Or what kind of things do we want to emphasize on our front page? And how are we going to support that? Um, and then there's like the tactical side of it, which is like, you know, what kind of CMS tools support it? And, you know, how do we get, you know, how do we actually, you know, improve the copywriting process on our stuff. And I think some of the lines can get blurry there. And I want to make sure that, you know, the, the topics that we cover here are able to are able to capture both some of the high-level strategic discussions that I think are really interesting. Um, and especially for people who come from a development background, those strategic discussions, I think, can really be eye-opening. But I also want to make sure that we have occasionally a chance to drill down into some of the, you know, the nitty-gritty stuff like, you know, okay, so how do we build a better editorial interface for somebody who's got some tasks that they need doing? You know, it's it's very contenty, but even if it's not content strategy-ish. Those are very <laughs> fuzzy words. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, and it really it does blur the line. I think you know this is it, it's a this is a content podcast from the standpoint of a company that does complete development kind of stuff as well uh you know so everything from how are you going to model this in the database you know how how are you going to interrelate these things together mm -hmm. how are you going to do your database queries and list things um but but really through to you know how people are using it both and and why would i list that <laughs> right. Well, and how end users are going to see it, but also how uh, uh, content creators are going to um, interact with stuff. I think that we learned some really big lessons early on uh, when you sit down sort of in a vacuum, uh, sometimes sometimes with the um, the decision maker people uh, at, at the client company. Um, who might not be the production people, right? You so, so they, you know, and and you ask them what they need, and they describe. I don't know what would be a good example. Um, you know, uh, well, we want to have. Well, actually, one of the examples that I, I've used over time is um, one of the first big projects that we did was uh, the MTV UK website, and uh, it's MTV with an accent. 
<laughs> and uh, and and uh, when we first sat down and looked at their homepage, um, it it was this aggregation of. Um, the most popular news items and then interspersed with some upcoming events that they were doing. And we sat there for a while scratching our heads and trying to figure out what the algorithm was going to be to get this information in here. And, um, and then we came back the next week and looked at it and the Glastonbury Festival was coming up. And the whole homepage was a complete Glastonbury Festival ad and we thought okay so uh, we need to create this algorithm that is also swappable if there's events and then where are the events going and then we sat down and talked to them talked to them and they said oh we've got those three guys that sit over there and they and they sit in front of dreamweaver all day and they're really amazing designers and 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 they just like make a new page and, and they do the homepage. That's their job. And, and, and I think that, that really gets to the heart of a lot of the challenges that people coming from a development standpoint face. Because we're very keen on, like, you know, reverse engineering the existing patterns that we see in coming up with the algorithm. And sometimes just, like, a conversation with the decision makers behind it for, so why is this happening? Right. You know, sometimes that means, you know, that reveals the fact that they go, you know, we don't know. And so we <laughs> gave them a text area. <laughs> we just, you know, they were just able to paste in their Dreamweaver code, and it worked great. Oh, and no, they, see, see that that's a that's a big hot topic of debate now, though, because you know, while that that can be really good for a lot of like transient stuff, it it, it really does end up hampering, you know, in in the very long term. Of course, also this was how many years ago was well, that? Well, it was yeah, this was yeah. two thousand six. Uh, you know, but but mm -hmm. from a production standpoint, it was great for them. They had mm -hmm. complete control over it. Um, these days, we'd probably ask them to do some special tagging and things like that. Uh, yep. Um, and and Dreamweaver might not be the the tool of choice, but um, uh, is but, anyone you know, using the, the, Dreamweaver at this point? <laughs> um, I'm sure there are some people at Adobe that are using Dreamweaver. <laughs> Segway. Um, but uh, this, this actually, this, but this plays right into I think one of the questions that I think Wyon on Twitter um, just just fired over to us. Um, he said there's a lot of talk about CMSs needing to be more quote content adaptive in publishing and. Uh, and that's something that's come up in a lot of different sessions at conferences and articles that have been coming out on content strategy lately. Um, but his question was, like, how? What, what, does, like, what does adaptive content even mean in, in like, that context? What, what would a CMS supporting that even look like? Well, and here's, here's an issue around strategy as well, trying to sit down before and as the site is starting to be used and figure out how people are going to use it and 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 architect appropriately because mm -hmm. w certainly a thing that i've seen on lots of drupal sites in particular um is oh well uh we i don't know people think of a new thing new way that they want to use the website and so you create a new content type mm -hmm. um that has just those fields that you need however there are only 3 posts on the whole website that have this content item 
Um, and so then you end up, you know, and this keeps happening and happening and happening. So that's adaptive, right? You know, <laughs> we can, we're, we're adapting. Oh, we've got a new idea for a new way to put up content. And so we can create that with Drupal. That's great. And the, you can use the fields and, um, the stuff that used to be called CCK and is now called fields. Yeah. For, for uh, the non, for the non Drupal people, uh, this is, I think, w- like what you're describing, like this process of sort of like ad hoc, sort of as we need it content modeling and like building out a site's content model, sort of a need arises. So, hey, we've got a new content type and we just whipped it out. Like that's one of the things that I think the, Drupal has made possible because it puts content modeling tools like the ability to design content types and unique data fields and then start layering on different presentation modes on top of those content types and relate them to each other. You can, in a relatively short period of time, wire up incredibly complex content models that used to either take just straight up development time or, you know, firing up an XML editor to, you know, to define it or, you know, depending on the system you were using, that was either impossible or frustrating or annoying. And you can just kind of click that stuff together with Drupal, especially in the newer versions. But again, the problem that comes into that is, is, you know, it's almost like the desktop publishing revolution in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, we have the content modeling and equivalents of like 80 bajillion fonts. And it's like, oh, so. But I've got all these fonts. I have to use them in my newsletter. Yeah, and I think the worst case scenario I ever saw was, you know, somebody was like, okay, so we took a stab at building this site. And, you know, what do you think? And it was, there were literally about 48 content types, 72 user roles. And like, maybe, I think it was, they had hit triple digits on the number of like states that a given piece of content could be in, in terms of like publishing workflow. And it was like, Wow. Yep. This is a you know the the tools are all there, and somebody was just able to just plow through and with a bunch bunch of clicking assemble that. But you know that's when you start looping back on this strategy question. You know why is are that, we doing this? What what are we trying to accomplish with this? Yeah. Right. And and that long term sustainability thing is I think one of the big and interesting parts of the content strategy side. And you know back to Moyan's um, question. You know what exactly does it mean for a CMS to support like adaptive content. It's not just even a matter of like putting tools in front of you to be able to whip out new content types when a new need is there. I think it's also a matter of saying, you know, how 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 flexible are the pieces that you've created for for reuse in different forms and i think like the ability to say we've got a website and we can generate a mobile site from it and it ties in with our print publishing system you know being able to build a system that can reasonably be used in lots of different contexts rather than having to go in and like design eight more content types because now we've got mobile or something like that you know those are big challenges and right like (laughs) i think of like um because you have multiple people working on things as well. And so, you know, like worst case scenario, you go to your create new content page. And the question is, do I create the content item called podcast or called podcast new or called podcast 2012? Because <laughs> you know, they created the original podcast. It was like when you go create a podcast, and then someone said, "Okay, well, in in 2010, they said, okay, I'm gonna that I'm gonna create a new one.' So they called it Podcast New. This right? is the and kind I, of things that like we can like 
lock a couple of library science majors in a room and just like let them duke this out. I mean, oh, yeah. These are... I mean, it really is like a overlapping a lot with that kind of you know organization of things, um, information architecture and strategy. Yeah, yeah no, it, it, it. I think the thing that's. And I, I, I'm still sort of obsessed with this question that, that Lyon fired over about, you know, what exactly does that mean for a CMS to support adaptive content and what would it look like? In part because it, it's, it's a difficult question. You know, we're just like the content strategy world, it feels like is just starting to really be able to articulate what it would even mean to be able to say, we've got content that we can easily adapt to multiple, you know, to multiple platforms or multiple, you know, destinations in terms of where people would be reading it but like how does a cms properly support that and you know i we come from the drupal world so i think a lot of the way that we look at the the technical side of that is shaped by like the toolbox that drupal gives you um but we're also working on other projects where you know javascript is the primary you know driving engine behind it and you know drupal or or mobile apps yeah right you know you can kind of create the interface however you want. And even with HTML5 these days and things like local storage and things like that, I mean, you can kind of create any kind of interface to to all of this. Um, and then the question is, what are the common... Yeah. The common terminology and language, uh, you know, and, and we talk about content types and think of it, oh, well, that's a Drupal thing, but it's not. It, really. Yeah, it, it's pretty universal. I mean, I, I, I think that probably the big dividing point in CMSs ends up being like how closely the underlying model for the content, like the stuff that's stored and the stuff that you edit and stuff like that, how closely is it connected to like an assumed particular presentation like you know are you are you always you know dumping stuff into the you know stuff that should go in the sidebar field or the image in image that gets floated to the left section on the page and stuff like that i mean it's it's very easy to bake in a lot of those kinds of assumptions into the way you build something out and you usually end up very rarely noticing until you end up getting that additional you know it's like oh and now we need to adapt it to a tablet and we're screwed yeah well and i've been doing a talk about this for for a while um about sort of you know what does the web of the future look like um and uh it doesn't look like what we've got now uh however the content that we've got now um and let me explain that a little more (laughs) i think that i think that there will be um a, a a a dispersion a diversion well dispersion i think is probably a better word of of the content that we put on the web so already um in a in a mobile context you can read a website on your iphone or on your tablet device um and uh um I know, for example, on the iPhone, um, on a lot of web pages I visit, in the top bar, there's a button that says something like readable. What does it say? Readability. Re- readability, right? And and you you click that, and all of a sudden, it's actually readable on your <laughs> on your phone. Now, how convenient. Uh, yeah, well, right. But we've also reformatted that 
that content. We've uh, maybe taken out the ads that are in the sidebar and stuff like that. And certainly there are some publications and people that get all up in arms because they're making their money off the advertising. But my point is that more and more this content, the actual content is going, is, is going to be mobile, is going – well, uh, mobile is – mobile means mobile. But I mean like movable and there will be more and more different devices. Watch it on your television or listen to it in your car or uh, um, you know, take – tiny little bits of the information and display them uh, on a sort of thermometer-like di- di- digital device on the wall <laughs> that shows you the weather. Um, but, you know, there are other ways that we may want to use this information. And and I think as, you know, we're seeing people, web builders uh, and designers, in particular, starting to come up against um, – uh, what we're calling responsive design stuff on the web, um, which is the new cool thing. You resize your your browser um, and the content adapts. It, it responds to the size. And the design can reshuffle itself and, you know. Exactly, you. exactly. And maybe you could keep your ads in there if you <laughs> needed to. And people wouldn't need to click that readability button at the, at the top of their at the top of their phone. Oh, that's another podcast entirely. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but uh, but w- what we're seeing is, um, I think you know, I was I was around when ev- when there were no web designers, and <laughs> I remember people struggling with what they could and couldn't do in web design and comparing it to print design and now i'm i'm seeing people comparing what they can and can't do in responsive design um what you know how, this idea of like what do you mean i i want the content to be exactly here i figured it out pixel perfect and i can show you how it is in photoshop it, and and you know now Ka- they- karen mcgrain and i have actually talked about this a, co- a couple of times in um some sessions at the web content expo and i think uh, 2010 in chicago it was it's like it's this eternal cycle of of our industry like relearning the same lesson over yeah. and over and like mobile yeah. is like just this the the latest wave of oh crap we really need to actually do it again this time and and what and what right if if i don't know exactly where this is going to be or i'm going to come up with these rule sets of where things are going to be what's common what's common between all of this and what's common is the content well and i think that's where like it comes back full circle, and this is why I think content strategy has really picked up, um, even aside from all of the individual disciplines that go under content strategy, everything from, you know, governance issues and, you know, content inventory and modeling and stuff like that, just the idea that we really need to actually be serious about making strategic decisions about why we're doing certain things and why certain kinds of content are important to us and what the hierarchy of importance is because as we start doing these kinds of you know adaptive um projects i mean i don't just mean adaptive in the technical sense but as we start trying to adapt ourselves to these new i guess endpoints or you know uh, for our for our content and our work you know those kinds of decisions about priorities and you know why we're trying to do the things that we're doing end up becoming much much more important because the, you know those decisions are forced on us you know we don't really have the luxury of just you know firing off a, a the equivalent of like a pdf built in html anymore because it's unsustainable you know before you could maybe even get away with that but now it's like 
the number of people with smartphones out there is growing just at a ridiculous pace. Like you mentioned, you know, set-top boxes. One of the things that I found fascinating was the realization that there are now more internet-connected Xboxes being used as, like, media consoles than there are DirecTV subscribers. Wow. Like 40 million Xboxes, not just Xboxes sold, but ones that are, like, actually, actively, always connected to the internet. And NPR, uh, I think... You know, they're sort of an excellent sort. They're they're the test case that everybody ends up talking about when they discuss this stuff because NPR ended up going through a huge, huge endeavor to convert their convert their entire operation to what they're calling the cope approach: um, create once, publish everywhere, and a huge amount of strategy work and a lot of implementation work went into it. But the end result is they can you know with some decision making and some planning they can turn around things like um, streaming you know, all things considered for the Xbox in, you know, in the podcasting and media section on an Xbox in a ridiculously short period of time. And it's not a major change to their publishing infrastructure. It's a decision about, okay, so let's put out the audio and a photograph and, you know, a description, or maybe we'll just expose our normal RSS feed or whatever. You know, the fact that they, they put the work into sort of building out what we make separate from the web pages we use to, to present it, that work has ended up giving them, you know, they, they essentially got very, very low cost in terms of like development time access to 40 million people with Xboxes. And I think well, and that's cer- big. Certainly this idea that there are all these devices and all these different ways um, that people may be consuming this information can be a little bit overwhelming, especially if you go back to the sort of idea of the webmaster, you know, the, the single person. I hired a guy and he's going to build my website. Uh, but on the other hand, it can also be kind of liberating to think like, I'm just going to focus on the content I'm going to make it well organized and very, something that's very portable so that uh, we can pump out a list of titles or we can pump out a list of titles and authors or we can pump out, you know, entire articles or um, or we can pump out a list of things you might like based on the fact that you just read this. You know, I mean, it, yeah, it, yeah, certainly yeah. that kind of stuff, too. Yeah. And so that's kind of liberating to to start to think about um to start to think about things that way. Um, mm-hmm. I was actually involved in um, a, uh, a theme project for Drupal called the Zen theme um, a number of years ago. Um, and uh, there were a lot of different competing, like what we in Drupal call theme engines. Well, there were competing theme engines, but we were actually talking about what are called base themes. Uh, I don't want to get into that whole thing, but we're, we're going down uh, a rabbit hole. Point point being, um, you know, the idea of of that was based on the CSS Zen Garden. That that there, you know, here's this content, and it's well marked up. It is marked up in in lots of ways that you can get at it with with um, CSS styles and CSS selectors. Um, and so, if you want to make, I don't know, you know, the the last name of the author bigger than the first name, you've got some tags around things to do that. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun and interesting. This idea of this sort of Zen, this kind of the one way to mark up the content, which was purely based on the content and the marking up of the content, not 
so much on how it's going to be rendered on this website. And, and Which that, we, that's I, I do find it really interesting that like in terms of the kinds of conversations that are going on, a lot of the transition to mobile and I guess what you know what I like to so, sort of call like preparing for sort of a post-mobile world because it's not just about you know hey let's make it run on phones but like this realization that oh man it's going to be running on all kinds of random stuff you know I I can't just magically build one of this for every different device because there's going to be eighty more ne- you know next week you know that that sort of realization a lot of the con- conversations that end up coming out of that and how we cope with this end up being almost exactly the same ones that like the whole semantic HTML crowd had to have so many years ago you know that idea of well instead of jamming font tags into things and instead of you know you know abusing HTML tags to try to accomplish you know our you know arcane visual display tricks mark them up in a way that accurately describes what the content really is and what it means and what it's for, and then use CSS as a way of controlling its display. And I think we're starting to see that more in like the content modeling and the even the administrative side of things where there's more attention being paid to, okay, so what am I actually working with conceptually here? Not just, well, that's the body field. That's where you paste the stuff that goes on the page, you know, and, and you know, it's like, okay, but what is this page? What should we have? Should we not even have a body field? Should we, you know, how how do we really model these this thing and the relationships between them? And it really, it really is a continuum of that same kind of stuff that the early uh, web standards and CSS people were really uh, uh, pushing for, um, because you know, it was this idea of we could we could you know, mark it up in different ways. Well, not mark it up in different ways. We could, we could present it in different ways. The thing was that, that it wasn't actually being done. <laughs> yeah. Right? The, the different way that it was being marked up and to even use the word marked up isn't the right thing, but the different way that it was being used was by search engines. Mm-hmm. It was like, okay, if we mark it up this way, then Google will know what's the title and what's the author because they have a, you know, they've figured that out for WordPress and Drupal and, you know, sort of the standard kinds of things, you know. Yeah. I mean, certainly there was, as it even got further along, there were ways that you could actually mark it up that would that Drupal could, or that Google could actually parse, you know, your rating system and display, you know, if you search for a television, you can now see, like, reviews with the number of stars next to it in, in Google, which is using that, you know, semantic web kind of stuff. But But it really is this continuum because you know, as you start to mark up your content uh, um, semantically, you could conceivably uh, display it in different ways. And now with the responsive design stuff, we're actually seeing people not, you know, display it different ways in the same browser as your, as you, your size of your browser changes or on a, another device, or your you know, device. As, you, yeah. as you turn your iPad sideways, it, everything kind of rejiggers. Um, and that's actually and that, the technical term for it in the Bootstrap yeah. framework, I think. Yeah. And 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 we're getting even, you know. And I think that this podcast will get a little bit even deeper into it um, because as you abstract all these con- concepts, it's one thing to uh, have a sort of a brochure kind of website with just a couple of pages, um, and you want to mark them up sem- semantically and. <laughs> Make it nice and clean. But it's another thing when you're creating, you know, 
something like the Martha Stewart website, which has a whole lot of different content and recipes that are being shown in all sorts of different places and in different ways and, um, yep. and searched and rated and commented on. And, um, that's where you actually got a plan. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, you know, and you want to make sure that you're not just sort of bringing the recipes in, um, with HTML wrapped around them. Um, but you, you're actually kind of storing things in the database in ways so that you can, I don't know what, double the recipes or. Yeah. Like uh, I, I think Karen McGrain has referred to that as like the war of blobs versus chunks. <laughs> well, this, there's going to be all sorts of fascinating things in this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that that that's a war I can get behind. <laughs> Blobs versus chunks. <sighs> Great. So so do you have uh, some interviews scheduled and oh uh, topics that you're planning on uh, attacking in this podcast over time? Oh yeah. What I, can people look forward to, Jeff Eaton? Well, there just in the coming month or so. You know, we we've got we've got interviews lined up with a couple of guests that I think they'll really really enjoy. I don't want to. I don't want to overpromise, but uh, we've got you know book authors and and you know ex- experts in the content strategy field who are all going to be you know chatting with us about some of the some of the specific topics they've been drilling into over the past few months. I'm really looking forward to that, um, and I think we're, there's also a couple of a couple of outstanding questions that people have posed to us in the past probably week or two that I think it'd be really interesting to to spend an episode drilling down into some of those. Like a friend of mine was basically just tossing out, you know. I'm I'm basically the content manager for an organization, and I'm I'm trapped between two stakeholders. You know, one one of them, one of them says we need to you know change how change what we're publishing, and the other one says, why do we need to? And you know, how do I approach those kinds of things? There's a couple of those kinds of topics that I think even beyond the technical, it, it'd be interesting to get some perspectives from other people who are in this industry that that you know. They have some insights into that. Um, some so pr- pragmatic stuff. That's what you're talking about. It's just one thing to talk about exactly. all of the, oh, you should strategize your content and everyone should spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. But then at some point someone says, uh, did you say hundreds of thousands of dollars? The, the best suggestion I've gotten so far on that question was actually um, lock them in a room and go have a bourbon. Um, but hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to get some stuff that's a little more concrete. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a wide open field. And I know that, you know, this episode, we've been sort of just, you know, just skimming along on the surface, sort of, you know, talking about the kinds of issues that we're, that we find interesting and want to drill into. But there's a, there's a lot of meat that's coming up in the next couple of episodes. And uh, I think it's going to be very promising. If people have ideas or questions for you, uh, and they wanted to, for instance, tweet at your direction, where, where would they find you? I'm at Eaton on Twitter, and uh, for for all the uh, for all the hipsters out there, I'm also at Eaton on App.net. Oh, um, <laughs> nicely! You've got fifty dollars. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I should make fun. I have fifty dollars. Yeah, it, <laughs> we 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 laugh because it's us. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, I think th- these are really interesting conversations. And anybody who's got questions or some thoughts on any of the issues that have been raised, you know, chat us up and we'll, we'll see where this goes. Podcast, podcast.